Good morning, Saltbox. What a joy to worship with Stacy. Uh, one of my favorites. It is well. Oh my goodness. It is well. There's probably a number of us who need that song um, today. It is well with my soul. Uh, Laura said it beautifully, but the yellow truck has been out sharing Jesus and serving coffee. Um, if you want it in your neighborhood, if you want to reach out to your neighbors, share Jesus, serve some coffee, uh, email Shannon Whitaker. That's kids at saltboxchurch.com. Um, the other exciting thing that's happening is the elders and I um, are working towards regathering September 6th. So more information to come on that, but go ahead and mark your calendars. We will continue to offer our online services probably indefinitely. Um, but we, we are working towards regathering. So today I'm wrapping up our, um, uh, the current series that we have been in of the, called Defining Moments. And I'm actually, um, I want to take a look at a particular grandmother. So I had the privilege of knowing um, both of my grandmothers. Um, one of them just passed away a few years ago at 101. Um, and I even knew my great-grandmother, so I called her uh, great-grandma French, um, but I didn't know anybody further back in our legacy. But I actually want to talk about uh, a lady who was the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great, 30 times over, grandmother of King Jesus. And what's interesting is uh, this lady's name is Rahab, and she was actually a prostitute. Can you imagine that God would choose a prostitute to put in the legacy and the line of King Jesus? Can, can you imagine that he would choose to take someone who, who actually is not even uh, an Israelite? She was a foreigner. Uh, she was a, a Canaanite. She was um, outside the sort of the family of God or the fold of God at that time. And um, God grabbed her in some way and grafted her in. And she actually became the great, 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 great grandmother of our Jesus. And it's that that I want to end this series on, sort of this defining moments, because we see a defining moment um, in her life. Her name's Rahab. So I'm going to start in Joshua 2. And we are going to read Joshua 2. Verses 1 to 13, thereabouts. I hope you'll get out a paper Bible and a pen, maybe even a notebook. Um, and I hope that you'll ask the Lord to speak to you today. Hebrews actually says, if you hear the Lord today, do not harden your heart. I hope that as we are looking at the word of God, that you'll remember that this is the bread of heaven. This is um, literally the word of God and that you would eat of it and even ask that as we spend some moments together, that the Holy Spirit might speak to you, that he might enliven you as we go through this. So I'm in Joshua 2, and uh, let's jump in and start reading. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, we just got to pause here a second, because they literally, um, you know, these... <laughs> These guys doesn't, doesn't appear they did a lot of spying. They just went marching into the city and went right into this lady's house. And depending on how you look and translate the Hebrew, it's clear that this lady had some sort of like tavern or inn, but it's also clear that she was a prostitute. So she probably not only was a prostitute, but she was probably over um, a house of prostitution. And guess where our two Israelite uh, friends, spies, end up staying? At the house of Rahab. 
So they stayed there, and then verse two, the king of Jericho was told, hey, some of the Israelites have come down here uh, tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent the message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered into your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and she had hidden them. And you know what's fascinating? I almost have to pause here for just a second because you know Moses has just died. The baton has just been passed to Joshua. Joshua is now leading the people. They are literally uh, getting ready to cross the Jordan River. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land. They're getting ready to sort of become this nation in a land for the first time ever. And, and the Lord chooses um, a woman, first of all. There's a great case for women in ministry if you, if you want to make a side note. But, but he chooses um, a woman, first of all, then he chooses a foreigner, second of all, then he chooses a prostitute, third of all, and, and truly, in this little chunk of scripture, Rahab is the heroine. I mean, she is the, she becomes sort of the center, and what she says and does um, is the very message that comes back to Joshua and is sort of the marching orders that the entire Israelite community um, rallies around. So I love, love Rahab. So here's what it says, verse 4. Um, but the woman had taken the two men and she'd hidden them. And so she's answering the king and she says, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left and I don't know which way they went. Now, interesting, she lies, isn't it? I mean, let's just call that thing what it is. She, she totally lies because um, they're still there. And then it goes on and says, go after them quickly. You may catch up with them but she'd taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax. So this time of year, uh, flax and barley would have literally been sitting on the roof, drying in the sun, and they could have been piled quite high. And the, so she would have hidden these guys under this flax and potentially even barley that she'd laid out on the roof. Now, fascinating to me because you're actually getting to see um, the God of heaven drawing someone who is far from God, someone who is way out there, someone who is not at the center, someone who is not an Israelite, and you're actually getting to watch some of the, even the sanctification journey or the journey to faith that this person is taking. So, you know, do I think the Lord, uh, or, or do I think because this is in scripture that this lady's lying, that he's advocating that? No, no, but I think what's fascinating is the Lord allows many, many things from many, many of us in our journey to faith. And then even once we're in faith, once we've surrendered our lives to Christ Jesus, there, there is a journey of taking on the character and likeness of Christ. There's a maturity that happens. So once we become Christians, are we sinless? No. Have we been rendered sinless in the eyes of God because of Jesus? Yes. But do we have to walk out the taking on of holiness, the taking on of the character of Christ? Absolutely. And so I, I think we're actually beginning to see some of this here, and I love um, that the Bible doesn't just talk about uh, the perfection of people. Can I say that? In fact, the only reason I feel like I can stand up as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, as a leader, and, and proclaim the gospel is because um, people like Rahab. Because, see, God actually didn't come for those who think they're well, He came for the ones who are sick. So let's get back to Rahab. So, verse 7. The men, so that's the king and the men of Jericho, set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. But before the spies lay down for the night, so they're still laying under these flax and, and barley sheaves, I would imagine, uh, Rahab goes up to the roof and she says to them, 
Listen to this. This is fascinating. So th- again, this is, a, this is a, a person that the Bible would refer to as a pagan. And that's just a Bible word for someone who is not um, in the Israelite community, someone who is outside, someone who is clearly a worshiper of foreign gods. So she comes up and here's what she says. I know the Lord has given this land to you. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us, us being citizens of Jericho, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. That was 40 years ago, by the way. I mean, the miracles that happened as the Israelites came out of Egypt, the miracles that happened as they crossed the Red Sea, uh, the defeating of Pharaoh there, 40 years later, people are still talking about these miracles. For you, when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Verse 11, and I love verse 11. I love this because what happens here um, in verse 11, it's, it's kind of a crux and we're gonna come back to it. But suddenly, um, you know, Rahab, you, you get the idea that she's standing on the roof of her um, um, uh, brothel, essentially. And these two men are there and uh, she's having this conversation and she's talking about your God. I've heard of uh, uh, the, the Lord, that your God, that Yahweh has given you this land. I know that this land is yours. And so she's talking about their God and what their God has done and she's going on. And then all of a sudden in verse 11, here it is. Uh, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone, everyone's courage failed because of you. Now, this is it. This is the crux. So good. Here's what she says. For the Lord, your God, is God. In heaven, above, and on the earth, below. And and you see this at like just dramatic shift where Rahab is no longer just talking about their God. She is now suddenly talking about her God. The Lord of heaven, he is the God. He is of the, of the heavens above and of the earth below. The Lord your God is God. And in that moment, it's almost like she's fulfilling Romans uh, 10, 9, and 10. She's confessing with her mouth. She's believing in her heart. And in that moment, what happens is this supernatural transaction where a lady who is pagan, who is outside the family of God, who is outside the people of God, who is a, a known, um, probably even, Uh, a cult-type prostitute um, known to worship in in very ugly and explicit ways. All of a sudden, she declares with her mouth, she believes in her heart, and what happens? She is supernaturally brought in, grafted in to the family of God. I'm a landscaper, so I spend some of my time out among plants and dirts and things like that. And um, grafted in is, I think it's in uh, Romans 11 and Ephesians 2, but literally what you do when you graft in is you take a a stalk or a tree and you make an incision and then you take another um, healthy stalk or or tree. You can even use a different type of tree. It's really fascinating. And you can actually graft it in and then you tape it up in such a way that the two plants actually grow together and this new grafted in branch is now part of the bigger, bigger plant. So, so suddenly you have Rahab, a prostitute, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that, but, but Rahab, who is outside the family of God, outside the people of God, outside the kingdom of God, not only that, she's an arch enemy, and the entirety of Jericho is about to be wiped out. And you get a sense of this God of love who is always going after, always seeking, always inviting, always including, always, always coming and, and inviting that people would come in. And she responds 
to the God of heaven. And she, she, she has this repentance moment on the rooftop of her brothel. Like how powerful is that? Standing with these two Israelite uh, spies who are half hidden under flax and barley sheaves and she literally goes, your God is God. And suddenly Rahab, who is far from God, is now grafted in to the family of God, the people of God. Verse 12, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. She's saying, hey, make a pact with me. Promise me that as I surrender my life to the Lord, as I betray my own king, as I betray my own country, as I betray my own friends, as I betray my own neighbors, as I give you information, as I have hidden you, that you will not only save me, but you'll save my whole household. And they said in verse 14, hey, Rahab, our lives for your life. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. I'm not gonna read the next few verses, but I wanna go down to verse 23 of that same chapter two. And it says, then the two men started back. They've been hiding in the fields for some time. And they went down out of the hills. They forded the river. They came to Joshua, son of Nun, the commander of all the um, the, the people of Israel, the armies of Israel, and they told him everything that had happened to them, which, which is what? Essentially, all they've done is hung out at a brothel and listened to Rahab. So literally, this is what they say, verse 24, they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. They're literally quoting Rahab. It's fascinating to me. So Rahab literally becomes the mouthpiece of God um, even though she is outside the family of God and she is literally brought in and made vital to this whole series of events. Now, I wanna read um, two, actually I'm gonna read three verses out of the New Testament, uh, James 2.25, love this. It says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Hebrews eleven thirty one, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Basically, was not killed with the rest of the residents of Jericho. And I think what you immediately have to look at here is God's heart of love is not that anyone would have perished, is not that anyone would have been killed. Rahab all of a sudden becomes kind of a prototype and an understanding of the heart of God. And when you look at uh, the entire canon of scripture, that's just another, I don't know, uh, religious word basically that means the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. When you look at that whole chunk of scripture, what you begin to see is a God who is always going after to seek and save that which is lost, a God that is always including, a God that is always loving, a God that is always bringing people in. And you see right here from the moment they enter the promised land, Rahab turns to him, which says to me, the entire city could have turned to him. But only Rahab does. Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6 says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of King David, the great, 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 great grandfather of King Jesus. So God takes a prostitute and he brings her in. Let's ask the Lord to open our hearts. Father, as we talk this morning, would you open our hearts? Would you feed us? 
with literally your word, with the manna of heaven, the bread of life, would you feed us, would you fill us, would you challenge us, and would you call us to be out sharing, living, and loving the Rahabs of our day. In your name we pray, amen. A couple of Christmases ago, um, I got this uh, bowl. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's a big bowl. Um, I have a father-in-law, so Abby's my wife, and my father-in-law's name is Steve, and Steve works with wood. And I love my father-in-law, he's very creative. Um, and he works with wood, and he took this particular bowl, and um, he, it was from a big piece of tree, I'm not even sure where he got it, I occasionally bring him wood, because I'm a landscaper and work with wood at times. And, but he, he took this bowl, and as he was carving this bowl and shaping it into a bowl, um, he uh, actually broke through. There was brittle places or rotten places in the wood, and, it, and the wood actually uh, fell apart over here on this side of the bowl, and then a huge chunk of it fell apart here, and then uh, you can't, even, can't see it real well, but a huge chunk of it also um, just collapsed over here. And so I remember, uh, as Abby and I would visit with, with the kids, um, going into his uh, garage, his workshop, I always love hanging out there with him, and um, he, I asked him about this bowl, and um, he actually gave it to me for Christmas, and he wrote this really short note, and I wanted to read it. Here's what it says. Michael, I worked on this bowl for about a year, putting it away uh, for months at a time, frustrated at the imperfections in the bowl, frustrated at the weak points in the wood. You told me that the flaws and imperfections made it more authentic and more beautiful. So I was inspired and finally finished it. You were right. That bowl means a lot to me because in my life, and I imagine in your life, certainly in Rahab's life, there are weaknesses and there are spots that as the God of heaven is shaping us that collapse, right? That break through, that are rotten, chips that fall out. And so to begin to see something that in the hands of a master craftsman, something that in the hands of a master carpenter, those weaknesses and those imperfections and those areas maybe that you're embarrassed of or you're ashamed of can all of a sudden be surrendered to that master carpenter who can then use those weak points, who can use those imperfections, who can use those places that have been broken that you're even embarrassed of or you're, that you're ashamed of or a past that you dislike. And he can use those and put them back together to make something that is not only exquisite, but it is beautiful. And then suddenly the imperfections, this master craftsman, this God can literally take something that's been broken and make it beautiful. He can take something that has been utterly destroyed or that has fallen apart and make it beautiful. Walk into the life of Rahab. I cannot tell you about Rahab's childhood. We don't know. We have no idea. All we know is the, the, this big passage in the Old Testament, and then there's three passages in the New Testament, and we know that she is praised. We know that she actually becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David and the great-great-great-great-grandmother of King Jesus. You know, there's a, um, 
a book that was written by a lady named um, Tessa Afshar, and it's called uh, Pearl in the Sand. And I've not read the whole book. I've, I've looked through parts of it, but it's essentially, um, it's, it's uh, historical fiction. And so this lady literally takes uh, the life of Rahab, and she takes what she knows, she's from the Middle East, and she takes what she knows of Israelite culture of the day and Canaanite culture of the day, and then she takes the biblical text, and she recreates the story of Rahab. And what she begins to actually weave is this idea that perhaps Rahab as a young girl uh, was actually forced into prostitution because her parents were in financial ruin. And what she actually begins to put together, and it's, it's extra biblical to be sure, we have no way of knowing, but somehow Rahab became a prostitute. Somehow Rahab became the broken bull. Somehow Rahab began to engage in things that probably over time she began to not only hate herself, but hate her customers and probably even hate her pagan gods. And this lady goes on in this story to sort of write um, how Rahab reaches sort of an end of hope. You know, she's, she's, um, she's given up and then rumors suddenly of this God, Yahweh, who saves his people. He saved them from uh, Egypt. He saved them from the Red Sea. He saved them as they crossed the Jordan River. He sustained them in the wilderness. This God who um, literally overcomes all of his enemies. Uh, this God uh, who probably is offering her escape from the bondage of her own sin. And these rumors reach her ears and you can begin to go. She may have become embittered and disappointed and even hate who she had become. She may have even gotten to the point where she is so, so ashamed of the lifestyle that she had lived and could look back and, and needed a way out and suddenly the God of heaven breaks in. Rahab surrenders her heart. And what's amazing is we can't, I can't put the story uh, back together uh, uh, for you exactly, but, but Rahab at some point gets married to a man named Salmon and they have kids together. So this is the God, number one, who is the Redeemer. I mean, church, hear me here. This is the God who is the Redeemer. He is, it's his name. In the book of Isaiah, you get to see him as, known, he is known as the Redeemer again and again and again. Redemption uh, simply means uh, the action of saving or being saved from sin. Secondly, it means the action of regaining or, or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. So Rahab was literally, um, she is a child of God because she's a human. She's gotten lost, she's gotten stuck, she's gotten into an ugly spot, and yet the Lord goes after her and redeems her and restores her life. Restoration is another beautiful word. It's similar, but it's, it's the action of turning something to a former owner, place, or condition. So literally, Rahab, the redeemer, comes in to begin to redeem Rahab's life and then begin to restore her to where God always intended her to be. That's, this is who our God is. So my first point this morning is this is the God who is a redeemer. This is the redeemer who restores. Rahab the prostitute, Rahab probably full of shame, Rahab probably full of guilt, Rahab embarrassed, Rahab ready to give up on life, Rahab I hate who I've become, suddenly turns to the God of heaven and gazes upon him. You know, it's interesting because we've got two elders, uh, Clive and Ruth Calver, and I, I 
have deep respect for them, but if you get to know them, at some point they will tell you that we used to purchase brothels. And the church that they pastored up in Connecticut would actually go in and purchase a brothel. And then they would walk in and free everyone, offer education, offer clothing, offer housing, offer an entire pathway that these young women and children could get their feet on the ground. And you begin to start to get a sense of who this God of heaven is, that his desire is that no one should perish, that his desire is to redeem, that his desire is to restore. My second point this morning is this is the God who delivers us from so this is the God who takes us from wherever we are, wherever you might find yourself. This is the God who delivers you from. Rahab's delivered from prostitution. Rahab's delivered from a life that I think she hates. But you know, the sin that we think we control, oftentimes we discover controls us, don't we? You know, there was a prayer that Billy Graham prayed, and then another hero of mine, Ravi Zacharias, prayed. But it's, it's fascinating because it's such a simple prayer. But as I understand it, Billy would frequently and Ravi would frequently, maybe even daily, say, Lord, don't let my own greed, my own pride, my own lust rise up and destroy what you've created. Church, this is the God who delivers us from if we will trust him. You know, it's interesting because if you look back at the beginning of the book, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you see when Adam and Eve sin, we all sin, right? I've sinned today. Ask somebody's forgiveness today already. But as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they're suddenly aware of their nakedness. They're aware of their shame and they're sort of hiding and covering themselves. And what does God do? God God literally um, kills an animal and gives them animal skin for clothing. Like this is the God who wants to cover your shame. This is the God who wants to cover your failure. This is the God who wants to cover your sin. If you will come to him in full surrender, he can deliver you from whatever you are in. This is the God who can deliver Rahab from prostitution. Rahab chose Yahweh. Jericho didn't, and they perished. You know, I think that becomes a prototype for each of us as we understand what does it mean to, to give our lives to King Jesus, to surrender our lives to him, to give him um, lordship and let him begin to hone us, let him begin to take the weak areas, the ugly areas, the imperfections, and let the master craftsman begin to work it so that he can take something that is broken and make it beautiful. It's the Rahab story. It's the Michael story. It's the gospel story. And if it's not your story, he wants to make it so. You know, when we think of prostitution, for most of us, that's far away. I'd probably invite you as we walk through this message to, instead of thinking of prostitution as um, the sexual act, I'd invite you to think of prostitution as anything that you're giving yourselves to in place of King Jesus. So could I give myself to 
pursuit of money or job instead of King Jesus? Yeah. Could I give myself to the pursuit of notoriety or fame or success instead of, yeah. Could I give myself to the pursuit of a great even um, physique or body or instead of King Jesus? Yeah. Could I give myself to the pursuit of earthly possessions? Yeah. There's so many, could I give myself to the pursuit of notoriety or my own following on social media or my own kingdom or my own financial, all of the things that you can give yourself to, it's just a different, it's a different slant on the same sin that Rahab was caught in. But this is the God who delivers us from. This is the number one, the God who's the redeemer. Number two, this is the God who delivers us from. And then number three, this is the God who delivers us to. Now, go here for just a minute. You have the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel is literally delivered from Egypt. They, they wander around the desert. Uh, that was not God's heart. God's heart was that they would get to the promised land in two weeks. They sinned and ended up being 40 years. But regardless, God delivered them from Egypt, through the desert, into the promised land. This is the God who not only delivers you from, but this is the God who delivers you to. Uh, take Rahab. So you have Rahab the prostitute. He delivers her from prostitution, from bondage, um, from shame, from guilt, from self-hatred, from all of the manner of things that she had done and, and participated in. He delivers her from that into a place where we don't know the quality of the marriage that she had to Salmon, but she married a man and they had children and you get the idea that she had this fruitful, long life in the promised land. God didn't just deliver her from and leave her to die in the desert. No, no, no. This God delivered her from and brought her through the healing journey into something. This is the God that delivered her to, and he had such love and such favor for this prostitute lady that she literally becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of King Jesus. God's heart is so much bigger for you and for me than you know his love for us, his desire to not only deliver us from, but his desire to deliver us to is so much bigger than you could ever imagine. If you will just, we, we hold on to things because we're like, oh no, I'm not giving God my finances. Oh no, I'm not giving God my marriage or my future spouse or my whatever it is you're, you're hanging on to. But when we begin to lay it all down before him, when we begin to um, surrender it before King Jesus, he will take those things and add everything else. His heart is so great for us. The prostitutes that became a wife, that became a mother, that became a legacy. Come on, this is hope. This is the God who wants to give you a future. The last thing I want to say here is this is the God whose mission is restoration. Number one, this is the God who's the redeemer. Number two, this is the God who delivers us from. Number three, the God who delivers us to. And lastly, this is the God whose literal mission is restoration. His mission is to take the broken things. His mission is to take the things that people have given up on and cast aside because they're ugly and they're broken and they're shameful and we don't like to look at them and they're not perfect. And God, the master craftsman, literally wants to take those things and hone them in his hands and work them and shape them and put them back together by the power of his spirit and make something beautiful out of them. 
That is the essence of the gospel of this God. That is the essence of the message of Christ Jesus. That if you'll come and you'll give it all and surrender before him, then he will take it and make it and shape you and give you a hope and give you a future. You know, it's crazy to me because when I read the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it starts, do you know where? A garden. And then if you flip all the way to the end, Revelation chapter 22, do you know where it ends? A garden. See, the whole mission of this God is literally to get us back to the garden. The whole mission of this God is that he would uh, redeem us from the bondage that we're in, and then he would restore us to relationship with him. What is this God who restores? It's a God who wants to bring us into connection and relationship. It's a God who wants us to unify with him. It's a God who wants to bring us back into this sort of, um, I don't even know a word for it other than like a paradise or, or an Eden, a utopia. God wants to bring us into this place where we live in unbroken fellowship with him. It began there in the garden and it ends there at the end of the book. The whole journey of the book is literally God taking his people and leading them and wooing them and drawing them and leading them back to Eden, back to the garden, back to the cross, back to relationship with him. Everything in this God is about restoration. It's restoration of the broken relationship with him. The things you refuse to surrender to this God, he can never bless. The things you refuse to come to him and say, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. He can never take and work and shape. But the things that you will give to him in totality, he can take it and shape it and restore it and give you a hope and a future. This is the God whose passion is new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord wants everyone to come to repentance. That was actually 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says he wants to make us all new. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Listen to me, church. On this particular day, the message you need to hear is that there is not one person who is outside the redemptive work of God. There is not one person who is outside the love of God. There is not one person who is outside the reach of God. There is not one person who is outside the pursuit of God. And if they will but surrender their lives in totality to him, he will take them and shape them and make them and give them a hope and give them a future and can put all of the ugliness back together in such a way that it becomes absolutely Beautiful. So here we have the story of Rahab. The great, 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 great grandmother of King Jesus. And when King Jesus walks the earth, we see again that prostitutes came to him and were set free. This is the heart of God. This is the defining moment possibly in your life, but it's also the defining moment to which God has called every single one of us to be about, to be looking at people through the eyes he might see them with, not the eyes we see them with. We're judgmental creatures, are we not? We can be ugly, we can be critical, but to see people the way God sees them. Stacy, would you 
make your way up here to close us in a song. And as she do, does that, here's what I want to give you an opportunity to do. If you're out there this morning and you would, you're passing through, maybe you're on a podcast, maybe you're watching on a live premiere, maybe you're watching a recap, I have no idea, but wherever you are, if you would put yourself in that Rahab position, in other words, you're far from God, you're outside the family of God, you're living your life in worship of other things, you're giving yourself to things that perhaps you don't wanna give yourself to, and you are ready now to make a change, you're ready to surrender your heart to King Jesus, then you can do just like she did, and you can declare that Jesus is Lord, you can believe that God raised him from the dead, and you could ask that this God of heaven would come into you and change you and redeem you and save you and restore you and give you a hope and a future. If that's where you are today, would you pray with me? Just close your eyes in your living room, on your phone, walking down the street, wherever you are. Just pause. Repeat it something like this after me. There's no magic words. It's a surrendered heart that God's looking for. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I fall short. I recognize that I'm like the broken bowl, that my story is not unlike Rahab. I recognize that you, Jesus, came to earth to redeem me, to restore me, to to bring me to this defining moment. And I ask that you would come into my heart, forgive me, that you would give me a new life, that you would make me new, that you would literally graft me into your family, that you would fill me, and that you would allow me to walk with you all the days of my life. In your name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, there's a number and an email at the bottom of the screen. Text us, reach out to us, call us. We'd love to get you a Bible. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you get plugged into a great church that preaches the whole Bible. And we'd even love to pray with you and help you be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. For those of you who are believers already, as Stacy leads us in this song, would you begin to look at your own life and go, is there anything that he needs to deliver you from that needs to be brought to him? And is there anything that he wants to deliver you to? And is there any area that this morning as we worship that you need to bring to him and say, King Jesus, would you restore this thing? Because he's the God that makes all things new. As you go today, go with the revelation that no matter your imperfections, no matter the broken spots, spots that you're frustrated with or the weak spots in your own life, if you can take those and give them to this God, the God who redeems and the God who restores, that he can take those areas and he can take those places into the hands of the very master carpenter himself and make them beautiful.